Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. There it is. Okay. Um, it's an auspicious day today. Everybody say auspicious. For it is the day before the day that Mark Henshaw came into the world 40 years ago. Hallelujah. And uh, we are our favorite American here. Uh, we just wanted to, uh, would everybody just join me this morning? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mark. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Woo. 40, the big 4-0. I'm giving it all away this morning. It's the big 4-0, just so you know. Uh, Mark has made it to the milestone with a little less hair than me. I just want you to notice. Uh, but uh, he's made it nonetheless, and we're so happy you made it right here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago, Bear. <clears throat> Yeah, it was more than a decade ago for sure for me. Hallelujah. Well, listen, um, I just want to say this morning, this has got nothing to do with really what I'm preaching on, but I really felt compelled to share it this morning. When I was in my first church, uh, and this was uh, in the spring, I, I came on staff in, in January of 1985. And uh, my wife and I had served at the church, and we just, we'd moved to her hometown because, well, at least she had work there. So I thought, well, I'll follow, we'll follow her and, uh, and go there and so I can at least get a job. And then I found work, and I was working away and worked at a dairy farm, then worked for uh, cutting down trees, and then worked for an electrical contractor and did all that stuff. And uh, anyway, uh, then we came on staff in January. And I wasn't on staff very long <clears throat> before someone gave me this book. And the book was called The Seduction of Christianity. I don't know if anybody ever heard of it, but it was a long time ago, and so it's not uh, exactly falling off the shelves nowadays. And I, and I started reading this book, and this book was just pointing out how everybody in the Pentecostal and charismatic world had, had uh, you know, um, violated scripture, was wrong for some reason or not. didn't matter if it was Hagen or Copeland or, uh, you know, whether it was Yungi Cho, anybody, anybody that was anybody, it was, it had something negative to say about them. And I'm reading this book, and I'm just like, wow, is this true? And so I went to my senior pastor, and I walked into his office. I said, you should see this book I just got, and I handed it to him. And he picked the book up, <clears throat> and he just took it, and he flipped through it for about, didn't say a word for about a minute and a half, just paused here, paused here. And then he took the book, and he just threw it in the garbage. I said, what are you doing? And I'm digging into, diving into the garbage can to get the book out. And uh, he said, you know, if, if you want some really good advice, he said, you just leave that book right where I put it. And I said, well, why is that? And then he said, I'm going to tell you something right now. He said that I want you to remember the rest of your life, and I never did forget it. He said, never pay attention. He said, in fact, ignore any ministry that builds itself by tearing other people down. Did you hear what I said this morning? Ignore any ministry that builds itself by tearing other people down. And I think his words are more important today than ever before because the Internet is a place where anybody with an opinion can write something. And 90% of them are idiots. What, would you like me to spell that out for you? Uh, it, it's, it's a place where, where, where there is, there, you don't have to go through a publisher. You don't have to have anything of value to say. You can just put it out there. You can create a website. You can, you can comment on somebody else's website. And I even read an article the other day. They were talking about how difficult it is 
uh, as a news reporter nowadays because you can ha if you have if you put out an, a well thought out, well written opinion about anything, all you end up with is all the, the the hate people, all the people who just go in there and they're they're like little trolls, and all that they do is just just hate on anything anybody puts up. Long gone are the days when you disagreed with somebody with an intelligent argument. Nowadays, it's just hurl out slander and accusation and nonsense at it. And as I said before, at Christmas time, don't be that kind of person, right? Don't be that person. It's so easy to get caught up in that. And the people on the right do it to the left, and the people on the left do it to the right. And, uh, you know, you've got one person do it to another. I'm thankful that one person chose not to do that, and that's Dr. Michael Brown. You guys might remember him. We had him here for a missions conference a number of years ago. Uh, he was, uh, he's a brilliant man, PhD, uh, from the University of New York. He's got a, a couple master's degrees. Uh, he speaks uh, English. Uh, he speaks Hebrew. Uh, he's born Jewish, actually. Uh, he is an incredible Bible scholar. And uh, he was also uh, the director of the Bible school at Brownsville for many years, and then uh, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and actually runs the School of Ministry, Fire International, from there, of which the Baileys are part of that uh, uh, mission. And uh, their church raises, literally, their church's focus is missions, and it raises hundreds of thousands of dollars for missions every year. And, uh, you know, Dr. Brown has been on the hot seat by some people lately, and I won't mention their names, uh, because I'm not saying this this morning to tear other people down, I'm simply saying this to applaud Dr. Brown. And, uh, and people have laid accusation on Dr. Brown, calling him uh, a greater threat to America than ISIS, if you can imagine. And what is it that Dr. Brown has done that has earned him these accolades is because Dr. Brown has refused to say anything negative about uh, someone else that we had here at our church, which is Heidi Baker, or to say anything negative about Bill Johnson, or to say anything negative about any of these other people in, who are part of the Pentecostal charismatic world. And these uh, people have, who recognize that Michael Brown is a scholar are appalled that he won't call these people out uh, for their charismatic nonsense and blah, 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 blah. And uh, Michael Brown patiently and kindly reminds them that he too is a charismatic and that he, too, uh, is, uh, you know, someone who uh, prays in the Spirit and who believes in the moving of the Spirit. And he said, um, but he said, I refuse to, to say anything negative about these people. He said, because uh, he said, uh, that's not how I operate. And he was and secondly, he said, because I found them to be wonderfully genuine, incredible people. Yeah. And he said, I've only been with Heidi Baker once. He said it was in Germany at a conference. And then he said to the people that were his accusers, are you aware that she has a PhD from uh, London University, that she is a, uh, not only a scholar, he said, but she's also one of the greatest compassionate people on the planet who has devoted her life to the people of Mozambique that has, and he goes in, you know, he said, do I understand or all of the, the manifestations that she or people she prays for experience? He goes, no, I can't claim that I do. He said, but what difference does that make? He said, the Bible doesn't say to judge by manifestations. It says to judge by fruit. And then he went on to quote Jonathan Edwards uh, and Jonathan Edwards' comments about things that happened in the revivals and stuff. And he laid out his 12 points of criteria for judging fruit, and they have nothing to do with that. My dad used to say, my dad wasn't even a Christian. 
He just used to say, it doesn't matter how high you jump. He said, it's how straight you walk when you land that makes a difference. And uh, that is wise counsel. My dad found the Lord before he passed away, but uh, all those years, he was just walking with some common sense revelation there. And his point was, it doesn't matter how enthused you get about something, it doesn't matter how excited you are about something or whatever, but it's, it's how straight we walk, it's how much integrity is in our stance and in our walk that matters. And that's all we should ever be looking at. And I'm saying this this morning because I encourage you to not get caught up in all the negativity that surrounds you in this world. And, and uh, you know, you, you'll never have any shortage of, of uh, detractors. There, there'll, there'll never be any shortage of them on either side of the spectrum, politically or religiously. They abound. And most of them, they flock to the Internet because it doesn't cost anything to publish on the Internet. Nobody, no... A publisher, if you're going to write a book, a publisher wants to know that, you know, what you say is actually going to get, is going to actually be popular enough and is going to actually be sound enough and, and is going to be representative enough of a, of a thought field that it's going to be able to have a market. But he, on the internet, nothing's like that. Anybody can post anything about anything. Hello? I don't know who this is for this morning, but I'm, I'm, I'm imploring you. The Bible says... The Bible says, if there's anything praiseworthy, anything noble, anything good report, then think about these things. Think and dwell about those things. Don't, don't go into the negative, but, but listen and, 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 and fill your mind with the good things of the Lord. Are you hearing me? And if it's praiseworthy, noteworthy, then, then dwell upon these things. And then God can give you peace. But he can't give you peace if you get caught up in all the negative stuff. Are you hearing me this morning? And, and I just felt compelled after reading Michael Brown. I couldn't believe that, that they called, they're, they're calling him out worse than the people that they want him to condemn. Because he won't condemn them. Isn't that just the craziest thing you've ever heard? Um, I'm not going to say who these people are. I'm sure. <laughs> but I could, I could tell you their names, but, but that's not the point. The point is I applaud Michael Brown because Michael Brown demonstrated himself as a tremendous statesman of the kingdom in the way he stood and was, is to be commended. And so I say this today to commend Dr. Brown. And I praise the Lord for someone like him who is willing to stand up and say, I won't get caught up in all that nonsense. Instead, I will judge a, a tree by its fruit. And I will not judge it by any other criteria. Are you hearing me this morning? Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. And it is, I say it because we've had Dr. Brown and Heidi Baker both here at this place. So I, th I think we have a bit of an authority on the subject. I, I might even write him and just say you know, uh, that uh, as somebody who's kind of a minor authority on this topic, because we've had you both in here, amen. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, what I want to talk to this morning is I want to continue talking about taking the church to the next level. And, and uh, if you weren't here last week, um, then, uh, you know, you uh, weren't here to hear all the stuff. And I'm going to skip over all the review because we're running out of time. But uh, today I want to talk about taking our church to the next level. I want to talk about the big lie this morning. And 
I'll go past all the review here, and uh, we'll get right down to it. Although I will stand at this quote. This is important to this morning. There's a trend in modern Christianity to separate our personal journey with Christ from the local church. And uh, you can't do it. Are you hearing me? Uh, you can't do it. Talk about three kinds of people that we've talked over the last year in the church and how God wants us to be investors. And then I talked about raising our investment. I thought that was a pretty neat 3D graph. But uh, other than that, that's a... Uh, Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk about the lie, the big lie. It's the private lie, as I call it. And what is that lie? Well, let me just put it up on the screen for you here. The biggest lie the enemy has perpetrated on Canadians, everybody say Canadians, is a lie of the privatization of faith. The biggest fallout from that lie is not just that it keeps Canadian Christians from sharing their faith. The biggest fallout is that it keeps them isolated from one another in the body of Christ. Privatization of faith promotes the concept of individual Christianity, a concept which does not exist in Scripture. Christianity is lived out in relationship. Everybody say relationship. relationship. When I was putting this, typing this up and writing this out, kind of articulating my thoughts, I was Thinking back of all the destruction that I've seen in the body of Christ because people have bought into the privatization of faith lie in Canada. It, it is unbelievable. In, in Canada, I hear pastors talk about it all the time, that people are regular if they attend church. You know, they consider themselves regular if they attend once or twice a month. They consider themselves regular if they, if they uh, you know, they'll say that they belong to such and such a church, and yet, you know, you see them uh, four, maybe five times, six times a year. And the reality is, is that Going to church doesn't what makes you a Christian. I get that. I understand that. It's a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. But Christianity can't be lived out by yourself. You can't live it out, uh, you know, as, you know, you or even you and your wife or you and your husband or you and your family. You can't live it out in isolation that way either. It needs to be lived out with other people. Because there's so much about our faith, there's so much about who we are that can only be lived out in relationship in that refining process that happens when we're with other people. It only, it only functions there. And I find it very interesting that when the enemy wants to take somebody out, like the predator that he is, he always isolates them and separates them from the pack. Once he has an individual or a couple or even a family isolated from the body, then he can decimate them, tear them apart, and destroy their faith. Very rarely have I ever encountered a family that's plugged in and, they're, and, and they're, the, the, the spouse and, and the, the husband and wife are plugged in and, and in their faith and they're in church every week and they're in a small group and they're leading something. Whatever. Very rarely does that couple come to me and say that, you know, our marriage is on the rocks. Long before the marriage is on the rocks thing happens, uh, isolation happens. Separation from relationships, from friendships, from other people, from uh, the connections that bind us together and are there to support us. When we get married, we do so in front of what? Witnesses. Why? We do it because we're making a covenant before other people, and they have a responsibility, and, and, and this is part of our Christian understanding of marriage, they have a responsibility to help us to build that so that it is, is, is really strong. 
And in fact, we even have many times, there's, there's a, a part in the, the, the vows, it's kind of, you know, less and less do you hear it nowadays because people think it sounds so harsh, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a word to, the, to those that are there that, it, woe unto you, basically, if you do anything to cause this marriage to be anything but uh, a happy one, a solid one, one where the love of Christ abounds. But you see, the enemy gets in and he, he you know, he so craftily, carves you out away from the body, separates you, whether through offense or through some kind of a wound or through a sickness or whatever, separates you, and, and then when he gets you away from the body, he's able to take you out. I'm just being as real with you this morning as I can be. In my journey, I've discovered that God never intended us to do a solo flight. He didn't intend the Christian journey to be a solo flight. He didn't make any allowances in Scripture for keeping our faith to ourselves. Rather, the call of God is to work together to advance the kingdom by proclaiming the gospel together. I've discovered that there is absolutely no aspect of our faith that can be walked out alone. Not one. Even personal holiness requires partnership and accountability. Right? And we have a Celebrate Recovery program. Pastor Mark, is that not true? No one in CR is ever encouraged to go it alone, are they? Do you ever tell anybody when they come in, so listen, I just want you to know that that alcohol addiction you're struggling with, we just, we just think you can beat this. We believe in you. You, just need to, you don't even need to come back. You just stay at home, and you just open that Bible up, and you just get strength from the Word, and you're going to defeat this thing by yourself. Hallelujah. Is that the way we, we, we go? Not at all. There is no aspect of your faith that is walked out alone. None. We don't encourage anybody to go it alone. Ever. And it's the lie of private faith, I've discovered also, that it feeds right into the hands of the enemy. It feeds into the hand of the enemy. I mean, it's unbelievable. How, how naive we've become, but we isolate ourselves from the community of faith, and then we isolate ourselves from uh, uh, relationships in that community, then we isolate ourselves from our friends, and we isolate ourselves from our spouse, and eventually we're sitting home all by ourselves. A bottle in one hand, and who knows what else in the other. Are you hearing me? And it all happens through isolation. Why do you think the enemy loves the spirit of offense so much? He loves you to get offended with somebody. Some of you are struggling with getting offended with me right now. <laughs> and he loves it when people get offended because offense drives us away from the people of faith. It builds walls between us and other people. I can honestly say that my wife and I, uh, who've been married... Uh, since 1984, so it's going to be 34 years this May. Believe it or not, babe, 34 years. Come on now. 34 years. <clears throat> uh, and, and I can also say that we made uh, it a, a decision in our lives that, that we would be in the house of the Lord every week. Now, the only exception to that is if we're on vacation, you know, and whatever, we don't, I, I will confess that we don't, you know, make a, a search to have to find a church to go to church on Sunday. Because for us, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. 
So that to have to find this church to show up at on Sunday so I can do my Sunday duty when I don't even know anybody there is not really a high priority to us. We've gone. We went to churches on vacation, and there's no problem with that. But the church that matters to us is this one. So many times, even when we've been on holidays and had, you know, we're just not traveling anywhere, and we're still here in town, we, just, we still have come to church. Why? Because this is our family. It's about relationship. It's about community. We don't, we don't plan anything to, that would take us away. Well, that's because you're pastors. Well, I can honestly tell you, even when we weren't pastors, that's how we lived. We committed ourselves to the body of Christ. It used to be like they say, when the doors were open, the Dowlings were there. Yes, our kids were raised in the pew. They were teething on the, the wood. They were, you know, uh, probably, you know, had diaper disasters on the cushions. Uh, you know, you might, you know, even have to get them clean. I don't know. I mean, they were there. They were, you know, rebuked by the ushers for being too loud. They had this happen, they had that, because they were there all the time. Are you hearing me? Yeah. And, and, you know, oh, so you're just saying all you need to do is go to church and everything's going to be great? No, that's not my point at all. I'm just saying that when you're in relationship, you get together with the people you're in relationship with. I'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but let's get back to my point here this morning. Over the years, I've witnessed countless individuals and couples who isolated themselves from the body, and within a short time have been taken out. Marriages destroyed, families afflicted, individuals lost. Get this, the enemy loves isolation. He rejoices over disenfranchisement. He thrives on private faith. He thrives on it. Everybody say thrives. Now here's the interesting thing. As we as a culture, and this, why did I say Canadians, by the way? Because this is far more a Canadian problem than it is an American problem. Mark, would you support that? You're an American, you, you understand what I'm saying, don't you? I've traveled to probably, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 cities, different places in the States, and I can tell you that uh, I've observed it, that the Canadians, we, we've bought into this thing so much that it's part of our language, it's part of our nomenclature, and, it, and uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that every church needs to, you know, be the moral majority, you know, uh, and that, and that you need, it needs to be as obnoxious as some American churches have become. I'm not trying to market any particular strategy here, I'm just saying that the idea of privatization of faith is largely a Canadian Euro kind of phenomenon, certainly not an American one. Let me move on. But there's a push for it there, just like there is here, to move in that direction. So let me just say this. What happens is the private lie is becoming public policy now. The private lie that the church has started to live by over the last 7,500 years is now starting to become public policy and never been one to shy away from speaking about politics in this church, so <clears throat> I'll do that again this morning. But uh, both Canada and the United States have been built on religious liberty. Both countries have been built on religious liberty. The U.S. Constitution and the Canadian Constitution are both globally applauded for their enshrinement of religious freedom. But in recent years, the traditional understanding of freedom of religion is being rewritten for an increasingly secular society. And the result is that we are rapidly moving from freedom of religion to freedom of worship. All right, does everybody see those two words up there? Freedom of religion to freedom of worship. In moving from freedom of religion to freedom of worship, the private lie is now becoming public policy. Let me explain to you what I mean. If you listen to politicians on both sides of the border, you'll hear them using terms 
like freedom of religion and freedom of worship almost interchangeably. Neither term is new, and some have argued that some have argued that freedom of worship is a new term in the conversation, but it's not. The truth is, both terms have been in use uh, in the public since uh, the birth of both nations. Historically, Canada and the United States have been nations built on the freedom of religion, and get this word, and, everybody say and, and and freedom of worship. Now, is there a difference between the two? Is there a difference? Well, yes, let me show you what the difference is. Freedom of religion, this is what freedom of religion is. Freedom of religion includes worship, but also the right of believers to evangelize, change their religion, have schools and charitable institutions under their religion, participate in the public square, and express their religion at work, whether in private or public sector. This is what freedom of religion is. And this is what is uh, uh, supposed to be protected in our constitutions. All right? Is everybody tracking with me so far? All right? Now, freedom of worship. Freedom of worship is understood as the right to pray within the confines of a place of worship or to privately believe. Secular society loves freedom of worship. They don't, you know, I don't know how many times in Canada I've had people say, well, you know, if that works for you. You ever been told that? If that works for you, that's okay. You know, oh, you, you pray, that's great. You know, oh, you guys go to church, that's wonderful. But if you try to bring that faith into public uh, or private world, business or, or, or public arena, then people start to get their backs up and they go, well, you don't, you don't have any right to, to do that here. And that's why things that would never even been a problem 50, 60 years ago are a problem now because we, for years, have bought into freedom of worship, but we've not recognized what we actually have is freedom of religion. Are you hearing me? And there's an important distinction between the two. Freedom of religion is an expansive term. It gives us the ability and the freedom and the liberty to live our, fight, our faith out in the, in the public arena. But freedom of worship says, well, you can believe whatever you want, just leave it in church or at home. Right? The sad truth is, is that we're rapidly moving away from freedom of uh, religion and toward a mere tolerance, a mere tolerance of worshipers, as long as they stay within the confines of their walls. But, you know, if you go out into society and you try to convert someone or if you speak out on public issues, or if you hold values that are in opposition to government policy, then you will feel the full brunt of the government coming down on your heads now. Oh, that's not true, Pastor. You're just exaggerating. Am I? Freedom of religion is an invitation to take our faith to the streets, to bring our values to the public square, and to infuse them into the business world. Our nation, I've talked to you about this before, our nation is called, uh, what? The Dominion of Canada. Why? Because Tilly, the the member of parliament from New Brunswick, got up in the morning and read his devotions from Psalm 72, verse 8, and he saw where it said, and and he shall have dominion from from the sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And he went to parliament and says that we should call this country the dominion of Canada. He didn't keep his faith in the prayer closet at home. He brought it to parliament and he said this is what the country should be. He understood freedom of religion meant that he could stand up amongst all of the rest of the caucus, some believers and some not, and express his opinion that this is what Canada should be. Are you hearing me? There was no understanding of freedom of worship that he he was allowed to pray at home, but don't bring that to work. He not only brought it to work, he brought it to parliament. Are you hearing me? 
And the country was built on that freedom. It was built on that freedom to bring it to, you know, and it's also built on the freedom that they could have all went and said, well, you know, we don't like that. And they could have had a vote and voted them down. That's what makes this country great. But never was it, did it ever enter into the minds of anyone there that he wasn't allowed to express that opinion. That is freedom of religion. That's where we began. That's what we have had for years. That's freedom of religion. Freedom of worship suggests that faith should remain a private affair, relegated to personal activities or weekend worship services. And man, that's what I mean when I say we bought into it. We talk about God at church, but we don't talk about him at work. We don't talk about him, you know, at school. And why? Because they, they'll, they'll do everything they can to make you feel like some kind of an idiot if you tell your teacher that you actually believe in God. I know because my kids would come home and, and, and tell me the stories and they'd argue with the teachers. I was proud. They'd, just put, they'd put it right to the teacher. They'd just go right back at them. And, uh, you know, if the teacher's going to sit and espouse that kind of stuff, then they'll just say, well, they had no problems. But how many know that not every person's as comfortable doing that? And so what happens is we shift from freedom of religion to freedom of worship. Then what happens is, is that they start to marginalize anybody who actually has faith and make you feel like a moron because you actually say you believe. Our universities are rampant with it. Our school systems... And nowadays, I mean, they do it now, unfortunately, politically, on either side of the spectrum. So they've turned this kind of tactic into a thing where, you know, if uh, you're a liberal, then you, you, know, you slam anybody who's conservative. And if you're conservative, you slam anybody who's liberal. Nobody listens to anybody anymore. Are you hearing me? And this whole thing has become part of it. Just last month, Federal government introduced new requirements for employers applying for Canada's summer job grants. One of the biggest users of these has been churches that have employed kids to work at summer camps all across this country, you know, and uh, the government has, has had this program and, and anybody could apply for it and anybody could use it because we had freedom of religion. It didn't matter what your faith base was or whatever. You could have these grants and you could employ people for it. But this year, in December, they announced a change. And now you have to sign a declaration on there that says that you will support the government's view on abortion. You have to support the government's view on transgenderism and uh, you know, homosexuality and all these things. And if you don't support it and you don't check that box off that you support the government's view on these things, the application won't even go through. And if you check it, if you check that you support it, that, that you, uh, then what are you doing with your conscience? So they interviewed the lady and said, what, what do churches do? Well, they said this was actually just something we put in because we don't want to be funding organizations with, whose sole mandate is to, you know, speak out against these things. Well, then why did everybody have to check that little box? No church's sole mandate is to, you know, speak out on any one of those particular issues. Our job is to love people. But we, can't we love people while holding our own values and our own uh, beliefs about things? We used to be allowed to. Nope, now they want you to check it off. So we've had to seek legal counsel, and the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada has encouraged people to download the application, fill it out, and send it in, a hard copy sent in, 
so you still apply for the grant, but don't dare check the box off, because if you check it off and then something happens uh, where you, know, you make a comment or somebody disagrees with your comment, then you're going to have a lawsuit sitting on your lap, and you're not going to be able to say anything because you checked the box. Are you hearing me? This is happening in Canada. This is happening in Canada, where your religious freedom is being stripped away. See, they don't care if you worship in church. They don't care. We can stand up and say whatever we want here. They don't care. Just don't bring it to work. Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? And uh, in other words, all I'm saying is this. We're still free to worship, but they don't want us practicing our religion in the marketplace. And if we do try to practice it in the marketplace, we're not going to be in compliance with government. That's where it's headed. And they even asked, is this going to become a policy for all kinds of other parts of labor? And they said, well, it could be. Could be. So what's our calling in the midst of all this? Our call is to a higher purpose. Both Canada and the United States have been built, as I said, on religious liberty. And we're moving rapidly from a freedom... Oh, sorry. That slide is... This is what I wanted to put up here. All, Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's all that's been happening in Canada for the last 50, 75 years, is, is all of this stuff is happening just because not enough people are rising up and doing anything about it. Right? We just, that's all. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about picketing. I'm just talking about living our faith every day. I remember uh, uh, Ted Haggard wrote a book about the church coming together and working together, and he talked about what they did in, uh, in his city, Colorado, and, uh, and he talked about how when the churches just started just, just talking about their faith, instead of just worrying about, you know, doing their own little thing, but they all started just working together and, and talking one another and supporting one another and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, people started writing into the newspaper and asking where all the Christians came from all of a sudden. Because they just encourage one another to bring their faith out of the closet. I'm just saying to you this morning, I think it's time we come out of the closet. Hello? If you've not read the book we have in the back, it's uh, by Rosario Champagne Butterfield. She's the uh, uh, lady who was at the University of Syracuse. She was the head of the English Literature Department and Feminist Studies. And she was a lady who had been in a long-term uh, lesbian relationship. And she had went to a Promise Keepers meeting back in... 1998, I think it was, uh, in the Syracuse Orangeman Stadium. And she went to this event, and she hated every minute of it. And so she wrote a, a thing in the paper, and she just commented on it and said how horrible it was and how it was misogynistic and it was a, a man's world and blah, 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 blah. And uh, so anyway, then she said the letters started to come in. And this is really pre a lot of email days, so most of it were still handwritten letters. And she said she had taken all of the letters that came in and separated them into two piles. Those that agreed with her and said, way to go, way to say it the way it is, and those who, who wrote hate letters to her, telling her that she was going to hell and all the rest of it. She said, and all the letters she got fit into both, either that category or that one, except for one. One pastor who wrote to her and said, you know, I think you might have some misunderstanding about what we actually believe as Christians. I'd love to sit down and have a coffee with you and talk about it. She said, I stared at that letter for weeks because I couldn't put it in one category or the other. It wasn't a hate letter, and it wasn't a support letter. It was just inviting me to coffee. 
She said, so after having that thing sit on my desk for two weeks, I finally picked up the phone because he put his phone number on there and called him. And uh, he said, oh, he said, well, that's wonderful. He said, would you like to meet? She goes, well, you're too afraid to have me in your house? No, he says, I only suggested coffee because I thought maybe you wouldn't want to come to my house. But he said, no, absolutely. We'd love to have you. Why don't you come for dinner? And they told her where she lives. She goes, I know right where that is. She said, I jog past it every morning on my, on my run. And he goes, good. So she came over for dinner, and they just loved on her, shared their story with her, shared the incredible love of Jesus Christ. And then she came to faith in Jesus Christ, became convicted about her relationship, uh, eventually stepped out of that relationship as an obedience to Christ, and then she went to school at the university, and she stood up and she came out as a Christian. And she brought her faith into that educational world. And uh, she was still, at this point, head of the department, and her class was the highest attended class. She said, I think because everybody just wanted to find out what I was actually going to ha- say now, that I was a believer. But she said, they, they showed up in droves to take my class. She said, it was packed out. But eventually, because she had an opinion that didn't fit in with the university, she was let go. And uh, remarkable woman, brilliant woman, brilliant woman, absolutely articulate, brilliant woman. But she was marginalized, again, because of, of, of what she stands. But now she, she become a spokesman, a spokesperson, a spokeswoman, whatever term you want to use, for the kingdom of God. And uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind, and she's doing an awesome job. So here's what we need to realize. We have a higher purpose, and as Edmund Burke said, that's the only thing the enemy needs for evil triumphs for us to do nothing. We are to obey God rather than man. Everybody say that. We are to obey God rather than man. So let me just put some scriptures up here to remind us of what the word of the Lord says. We're called to pray for our government, but we're we're called to obey the Lord rather than man. And the scripture makes it very clear that we are involved in a spiritual war. Listen to some of these scriptures. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And what? The violent take it by force. Those who get aggressive in their prayer. Those who are not willing to sit back. Those who are willing to to step out boldly uh, are the ones that will get the victory. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Wow. So in other words, we don't do it with sword. We don't do it with, 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 with bombs and all that other kind of nonsense you hear from radical groups around the world. But we do stand up and we do speak and address everything that sets itself up as, as an opposition to Christ. And we declare God's truth in every one of those areas in our culture. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight of the faith. What's he supposed to do? Fight the good fight of the faith. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And Paul goes on to talk about that he beat his body and he made it a slave so that he would step into the battle and get the victory. We're supposed to look at it as a competitor, as a warrior, and we have to engage in order to win. All right. There's so many more scriptures that I could put up on the screen. There is no shortage of them in the Word of God to talk to us about what we need to do. And I promise I'm not going to be 
political next week or anything like that. I'm just going <laughs> to talk about the church and talk about how wonderful each of you are and how much you can get from one another and how blessed you can be by one another. But I couldn't go any further without making you aware of what's at stake. I need to make you aware of what's at stake. We're in a war. And the decisions we make today, hear me this morning, the decisions we make today, the, the moves we make today are going to determine what world our children grow up in. Are going to determine what kind of liberties our children enjoy. Are going to determine what restrictions are placed upon them and their faith. Are going to determine what the schools are like and the universities are like that they attend. And so what we need to do is make sure that the world that they step into has been paved by the parents' faith so that they can walk on a road that allows them to believe and to follow in the faith of their fathers and their mothers and to do so with pride and with joy and with an expectation that they can be released to bring good news to their nation, just as we have. Are you hearing me this morning? An army, by definition, is a company of soldiers called it with one purpose and one mission. That's who we are. We are the army of God. There are many other metaphors in Scripture, but this morning, we're the army of God. And none of us has been called as individual mercenaries. It doesn't say we're mercenaries for God. It says we're the army of God. We're fighting, not fighting the good fight alone. Rather, we're called as soldiers fighting shoulder to shoulder for the advancement of the kingdom. It's time to repeal the lie of privatization of faith in Canada. It has kept Canadians from sharing their faith. It's caused us to apologize for our values. Think about it. Isn't that how Americans talk about us all the time, even jokingly on TV? You know, that, what do they always talk about? How we're always apologizing. Right? Isn't that true? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. You know, uh, that, that's the joke that they, they have. I had to laugh this week when I read an article that uh, an old shed that was on the uh, south shore of the uh, St. Lawrence uh, during the storm this past week uh, got blown off of, its, off of its moorings, and it was floating across St. Lawrence, and it got to the Canadian side. We chopped it all up. People took it home. They loved the old wood, made stuff out of it and everything else. And the Americans wanted their historical site back, and there was nothing left of it. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just had to laugh. I, I can't even remember what the building was, but it was some historical building over 200 years old or something, and the wood was just exquisite, so people chopped it all up and took it home. It washed up on the Canadian side in New Brunswick, and it's gone. So <laughs> no apologies made, no nothing. It was just gone. So maybe some of our reputation is not well-deserved, but for the most part, that's what we get called. We get called out for Always apologizing. And what is that rooted in? It's rooted in privatization of faith, privatization of opinion. And we're always ap apologizing for it. I've traveled a lot in the States, and, and I try to go incognito. I don't tell people I'm a Christian. And, uh, and I just love to hear what their opinions are. So, you know, we were in, uh, actually this time we were in Canada, but we met some folks from Chicago. And uh, we, were, we were at uh, Lake, Lake Louise. And we're walking along, and we met this couple. We're hiking, we met this couple, and the guy... Says, I says, where are you from? I said, oh, we're from near Toronto. I said, where are you from? He said, Chicago. Oh, okay. And so I just asked this question, what do you think of Obama? Because Obama was president at the time. And, uh, and so this guy was a, a Republican, so he didn't think much of Obama. And so he went up one side of Obama, down the other, and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm just listening, you know, <laughs> smiling, just uh, interested. And, 
And, uh, and, and he said, oh, sorry, he apologized to me. He said, I'm probably being a little strong for you Canadians. And I said, oh, no, I'm rather enjoying it. Keep going. You know, I, I like to hear people's opinions. But anyway, uh, I, but he didn't, as an American, he didn't have any qualms to share in his opinion about it. Right? Uh, as Canadians, we, we'll, we'll do it on the Internet where it's safe and nobody knows who we are. We'll create a fake name, and then we'll put it on there. And, but uh, to actually go out in the market square and share our opinion is something that, you know, we're too afraid of getting ostracized for. Right? So we apologize. It, it's all rooted in this thing, folks. We led the way for too many years, apologizing for our faith. We've got to stop doing that. It has kept us isolated from one another. It's singled us out for destruction. It's kept us from finding strength in numbers. It's kept us from relationship. And it's crippled our potential as an army. So, let me just clue with this. The lie of privatization of faith is a concept which does not exist in Scripture. At all. The truth is, Christianity is lived out in what? Relationship. Christians are part of what? A family. Christians are part of what also? An army. An army. And Christians have been called to work together to accomplish the mission of the kingdom of God. And it's that working together part that I'm going to talk about over the next few weeks, but I had to get the politics stuff out of the way. I had to say it. Because it's the truth. And, um, and I'm not apologizing for it. Are you hearing me? You know, the fight doesn't intimidate me. I must confess I don't like putting my opinion on the internet because I, I really don't like thinking something out really well, writing something articulate, and then having people say, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's, all, that was your, that's your comeback. You're an idiot. That's it? And yeah, because that's what most of them are. They're a bunch of silly comments that have no basis in argument. I don't like that. I don't mind having discussion with people who disagree with me. I have them all the time, and I love it. I find it a wonderful, as long as it's a discussion and not a, well, it's stupid. <laughs> really? Is that all you got? That's stupid. That's all you got. I'm not into that. That's, I can't be bothered. So that's why I, I avoid the Internet, because it just would be hard on me to read all of these. I'd want to address every one of them, and I'd realize I'd be addressing people that have popcorn between their ears, so it would be a waste of my time. <laughs> oh, watch it, Kevin. All right, there's a line. I'm coming closer right there. I got to be careful. All right, let's stand together this morning. <laughs> yeah, Barry's making the backup sign. <laughs> Sound here, beep, beep. No. Ah. Hallelujah. Don't let anyone tell you that we don't have freedom of religion. Still, we do. And even though the country is trying to shrink us into a little tight corner of our world, the Bible says we are not of those who shrink back and are overcome. But we are of those who actually step out and overcome the world. Are you hearing me this morning? So it's time to take our, our faith out of the closet. It's not an invitation for you to be an obnoxious dork. I'm not... Suggesting that you have to do that. Uh, not suggesting that you be that person that they get talking about who is just so weird. I'm not suggesting that either. And I'm not, I'm, I'm suggesting you go to the Word and you equip yourself 
The Bible says that you study to show yourself approved a workman that needeth not be ashamed who can rightfully handle the word of truth. That you equip yourself with knowledge and understanding. The Bible says with all you're getting, get understanding. Gain understanding with everything you can. Go after understanding. Get it. Read. Educate yourself. Uh, become the person who can comment on something and, and can help people de- navigate these troubled waters. Because here's the thing. There's 20% that is trying to steal away your liberties. And then there's this, this percentage, whatever it is, of Christians that are, are sitting here not saying anything. And the rest of the people in the middle are unconvinced either way. They're just waiting for you to, to speak up. They're waiting to be led. Are you hearing me? The vast majority are not antagonistic to you at all. They're just waiting to be led. They're waiting for you to step up and to stand up for what you believe in. And they'll actually will come alongside and say, yeah, I agree with that. You're right. Now, five minutes later, they might have been agreeing with the liberal guy, but you know what I mean. Eventually, you win them over. That's how it works. So, Father, we just ask today for the grace and the strength to stand up for what's right. Father, to declare truth and declare, Lord, uh, Father, that, God, our faith is no longer a private thing. It is very much a public thing. What I believe, Father, is something that I don't keep inside me. It's something that is desperately trying to get out every day. Father, you've called me to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Father, to, express, to, to be deliverer, to be a, a father, someone who's bringing revelation and understanding and to expand your kingdom every single day. That's what we're called to do. We will not shrink back. We will not hide. We will not go find a corner where we can curl up and not bother anybody in. But Father, instead we will stand up for the truth of the word of the Lord and we will declare it in season and out so that Father, your truth reigns supreme. And Father, we thank you for the call on each life today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless the Lord. Amen. Have an awesome, awesome week. And uh, sign up for small groups at the back. Make sure you get that done this morning.